Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast, coming to you from Shop Talk Europe 2023 in Barcelona. In this, the last of our daily episodes from the show, we pick our way through some of the highlights from day three. We are a global pioneer in on-demand fashion. What we've been able to do is we offer this 100 to 200 copies for the entire globe. And if we aren't detecting demand for it, that means we won't move it to mass production. And so the net effect is inventory waste levels that are in the low single digits. It's really quite a powerful solution to excess inventory waste. Retail uh, and our stores, they are a pillar for the brand. They are what makes Kemper today. It's the space where we can tell whatever we have to tell. You've seen our shoes, they're very different. Colors, shapes, you know, comfort, everything. We need it to, to really relate that into our stores. We're back to bring you highlights of what was on show and discussed during a busy final day at Shop Talk Europe 2023. We hear from some of the sharpest minds in retail at some of Europe's leading retailers and brands as they discuss, debate and present the solutions that are redefining thinking in an ever-shifting retail landscape. Coming up on this day three event review episode, we hear from the likes of Shein, Camper, Rituals, Abercrombie and & Fitch and more. Here's the episode. Chinese fast fashion giant Shein is one of the world's fastest growing apparel retailers. The company's global head of strategy and corporate affairs, Peter Pono Day, was at Shop Talk Europe for an on-stage panel discussion here on day three. I sat down with him earlier in the day to learn more about Shein's unique on-demand business model that has contributed to its explosive growth. We are a global pioneer in on-demand fashion. And what that means is that we use digital technologies to engage with our customers through our mobile site and our mobile application. And then we link that to a digitally empowered supply chain, which is extraordinarily efficient. I'll give you an example. When we are looking to make a new clothing item, we will produce between 100 and 200 copies of that item for sale across our entire platform, which serves 165 countries currently. If we can detect demand for that particular product or style, we will ramp up production to meet actual demand. The net effect of this is that we are able to virtually eliminate excess inventory and excess inventory waste. What we've been able to do is we offer this 100 to 200 copies for the entire globe and we use discounting to try to sell it. And if we aren't detecting demand for it, that means we won't move it to mass production. And so the net effect is inventory waste levels that are in the low single digits. And we see that as a model potentially for industry to utilize the power of a digitally enabled supply chain to measure in real time demand and avoid having to do demand forecasting, collections, capsule collections. It's really quite a powerful solution to excess inventory waste. We call it on demand, so it is not an immediate or custom experience, but it is an experience that allows us to produce an extraordinarily wide range of products and to adapt our offering to what customers are actually interested in. The way I like to think of it is we're truly a customer-led brand. I think having a digitally empowered supply chain has been critical to weathering some of the recent dynamism and frothiness in global supply chains. That's been a key component for us. I think also the ability to really be customer-led and measure actual demand instead of having to produce 
to imprecise or maybe imperfect projections on what demand will be has been very successful for us. In our view, when we started the business, we wanted to be able to work with small and medium-sized producers because we felt that there was an opportunity to share the entrepreneurial spirit that's really animated our founders with a broader supply chain. And we've carried that entrepreneurial spirit forward into a new operations in Brazil, new operations in Turkey. And I think what that has done is it's allowed us to work with a community of suppliers rather than a series of a few very large suppliers. Now, a benefit of that decision, which was taken very early in the life of the business, was it made us quite resilient to shocks because we could absorb through this flexible network a supplier going offline or a supplier being unavailable or one supplier running out of raw materials but another supplier had them. So being able to have that community of suppliers has proven extraordinarily useful during the pandemic. And, and we certainly didn't project the pandemic. We built this for other reasons, but it turned out to be quite useful in that period. But we do use digital tools to ensure consistent quality and to get what I like to call virtual vertical integration. So we're able to have a very high degree of insight into what our suppliers' capacities are, what their expertise is, and to send them orders in near real time so that they can produce on a bid-ask basis in a very dynamic system. And I think that's another component of why we were able to manage the dynamism that's existing in global supply chains. And this system, because it's digital first, is exportable. So we're looking to stand up similar ecosystems in Brazil, where we've announced a major investment with the Brazilian government in response to some business changes we've made down there around becoming a marketplace. And I think you're going to continue to see us scale that as we move into new geographies and new locations. Is there a more iconic Spanish brand than Camper? Its first store opened here in Barcelona back in 1981, but with the growing number of potential touch points and interactions, how are established brands like this having to involve their thinking to create a truly seamless experience for customers? I sat down in conversation with Camper Global Retail Director Isabel Eberman, who believes that the solution to this and success doesn't have to be overcomplicated. So, first of all, retail uh, and our stores, they are a pillar for the brand. So, they are what makes Kemper today in terms, of course, on top of the product. But they are what makes, it's the connection place with consumers. It's the space where we can tell whatever we have to tell. You've seen our shoes. They're very different. Colors, shapes, you know, comfort, everything. We need it to, to really relate that into our stores. Um, and Kemper has always been very connected to design, architecture, you know, uh, industrial design. So uh, it was very important to bring that to the space. Um, so our strategy was and still is to have different stores everywhere to think how we want to approach this place in that street. You know, how do we want our consumers? What do we want to tell? Um, so, of course, the strategy has changed over the years. Uh, we used to have um, to use, I don't know, Japanese industrial designer to uh, design a store for Barcelona, and it worked, it was amazing. Now lately, we're working more with designers from the city or the place or the country, so it's kind of great to link the city heritage into what we're going to do in the store. Not only the design itself, but also the materials that we use, it's everything. Like every part and every bit of the store needs to tell something. 
customer is in the middle of everything that we do. You know, it's so, if, when you start from that point and you think, okay, no doesn't exist, it shouldn't be a response to any, anything, then everything becomes easier. Um, so, of course, there are a lot of things you need to tackle in that sense. Uh, but seamless experience is that a con customer can find a product he or she wants at any time, anywhere. So, we know that consumers today, they browse online and then they go to the store and they try on and they buy. We know they go to the store, they try on and then they think about it and they buy online. That doesn't matter. You have to provide the right experience. You have to provide them with the right info about the product. You know, you have to share your, your knowledge. You have to provide them with the best service so they can find the shoe that they need. And we've been working on that for many years now. And it's, you know, it's proven to, to bring very good results in that sense. We can say we are a very omnichannel company. Uh, our staff uh, in the, the stores, they know about it. They ship to online consumers. They get the returns from online consumers, but they try to convert them into a new consumer, you know, like for something else and providing the right, um, the right info or the right service to the customer. We do the same work online and offline to get as much info as we can from the customer, knowing that they are camper customers. It's the one customer. It's not a customer, you know, that's part of any channel. How can retailers strike the balance between providing both inspiration and ease in stores by designing new store experiences and implementing new technologies to cater for these divergent paths? Lauren Barry, Group Head of Luxury at Fraser's Group, spoke on stage during day three to explain the opportunities the business is seeing in its flagship format to drive customer lifetime value. Number one, it's bringing a new customer. So you've got that younger shopper that maybe wants to try and play with beauty that previously we didn't have. Through obviously F&B and dining as well as fitness, we're seeing a whole new customer, but actually we're seeing them return on their journey. So at 16, you might invest in your first you know, piece of makeup. But actually, as you experience the store, you want to buy into that luxury product. So your next purchase might be a T-shirt. You then upgrade and you go to a Gucci handbag. And actually, it's that whole circle of bringing them on the journey and then it continuing. We obviously work with a lot of industry experts and consultants throughout the design and store process. I think any partner or brand we work with have got to be able to enhance our flannels experience. We've got to have similar synergies. So with Barry's, we've seen the massive rise in activewear, well-being, fitness. So instead of just offering the latest on running trainer or your gym kit, actually you can come into store, you can have all of that as well as then have the experience of going into a Barry's Bootcamp class. And it becomes a world of, and that's what we want, an immersive you know, experience within our stores. But through research, we know that one in three consumers that come into flannels experience luxury for the first time. So the balance between, obviously, we've got the brands, we've got the big powerhouses such as the Gucci, but also we've got new emerging brands, you know, such as Fear of God. So I think having the brands there is 
one great tool, but also through our services, we can tailor to both that traditional customer versus that new luxury customer, whether that's you know personal shopping and one-on-one -on -one styling sessions and our loyalty programs, which you know resonates more with our traditional luxury shopper, versus that Gen Z, where we've brought in the world's first beauty changing rooms, where they can go in, they can try, test, and play makeup. It's got high tech, where they can you know download the QR code, it will take them straight onto our site. So I think it's that balance. We also, you know, host events at the beauty bar and we always try to keep it localised and personal to that audience. So, you know, within Liverpool it could be an influencer that's local there that does, you know, a makeup session of how to do the best glam makeup. Mm -hmm. And I think that really appeals to the Gen Z, but actually the other services such as, you know, personal shopping, come in, have a glass of champagne and one-on-one -on -one service appeals more to the traditional. When we invest in tech, it's only to enhance, you know, the experience. Anything we invest in needs to work in the long term. But for an example, to enhance the experience, we've changed our London flagship, we've renamed it Flannels X, and we've actually delivered the UK's biggest immersive um, digital screen space that can hold activations, events, and things like that. And actually, that's how we're going to use tech rather than, you know, self-serve. We don't believe that that's what the luxury customer wants. Like you say, they want to come in, they want to touch and feel product, especially with, you know, the start that one in three experience it for the first time. They want that one-on-one -on -one service. And also, sometimes they really want that advice. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how we're integrating tech. I think, look, it's growing massively in retail, and in five years, you know, I'll be there with a self-checkout after I've just said, you know, <laughs> we're not going to roll it out. But I think it's definitely that balance, and we'll only use it if it, you know, enhances an experience rather than it being at the forefront. Despite advances, AI still has a long way to go before it matches human intelligence. One company working to get a little bit closer is Tel Aviv-based AI21 Labs, which is on a mission to make the machine a thought partner to humans. I spoke to the company's co-founder, Yoav Shoam, to learn more. Well, we, uh, as a technology shop, uh, we're exposed to many industries, and really it's the first time for me to be in the hub of a retail uh, event and the energy here and the breadth of activities is quite impressive. I expected that most of the discussion would be alien to me, but the amount of discussion around AI and so-called generative AI, which is exactly what we do, uh, is actually staggering. It seems like every panel, every speaker, that is the topic of discussion. We're one of the few companies who are actually developed so-called large language models. Uh, we have our uh, suite of language models called Jurassic. We recently released the second version of Jurassic and um, they're among the most powerful on the market uh, with close collaboration with both Google and AWS. Uh, and we focused on text. There is a lot of activity also around image generation and other modalities. We focus on text. The amount of text in the retail enterprise is overwhelming. It's the most of the uh, information. And whether it's in front end, a website, product descriptions, customer reviews, uh, you name it, uh, or in the back end, various uh, databases regarding customers. And, um, and really, I think the phase we're in is that every retailer, every e-commerce vendor, 
uh, every manufacturer uh, in retail really needs to start to think of them as an AI first company because the competitive advantage is that amount of information they have that's proprietary to them. You know, when something is popular, then everybody wants to sp sprinkle it on, the, on their offering. Um, we really are one of the few companies in the world that do have the deep technology. And, um, and that allows us to provide the, a level of uh, service that few can. And it's not only a language model, it's also higher level building blocks on top of that. For example, if you want to do product descriptions uh, at scale, you have thousands of products and it can be extremely costly, or time consuming, uh, uh, to, to, do, to, to develop them, uh, uh, and in fact, once you develop them, uh, they're one size fits all. Now, all of that has changed. You can develop product treatment at scale, but that means it's not just a language model. You need a, a higher level module that does that, and that's what we do in addition to our language models, uh, which, as I said, are sort of best of breed. We have this higher level services that are geared towards specific use cases, such as product description, customer review, summarization, and so on. You will see that the type of description that comes from one retailer will be very different from another, even if they're in the very same business. They both manufacturers choose, the, the voice of the enterprise will be different. The, the pace of development is staggering. The only thing I think we can predict with certainty is that change will continue. Uh, I think the biggest qualitative change will be eliminating or at least reducing the shortcoming of technology, the hallucination, the coming up with um, non-facts and presenting them facts, and of uh, doing reasoning that on the face of it seems impressive, but when you look at it closely, you see that it's very flawed reasoning. I think in the next year you'll see a lot of that uh, being improved. Putch is a third generation family owned fashion and beauty business based right here in Barcelona. It's also at the cutting edge of retail innovation, recently partnering with Tmall in China to launch a scent visualizer aimed at satisfying the demands of a new fragrance consumer. Just one example of how technology can disrupt engagement in retail. I spoke to Putsch VP of Innovation and Technology, Camilla Thomas, to learn more. So what we have done is solve one of the main problems of the category of fragrances, which is people are really confused. When you enter perfumery, you have a small perfumery, you have over 500 different smells to choose from. If you go onto a digital platform, you may have 3,000 different smells to choose from. Where do you start? Where does the retailer start in making their recommendations for you? Uh, even worse, there is not a common classification. There is not a common language. Okay? So it makes a category that consumers love, sense, very complex. And the shopping uh, experience can be very frustrating or very stressful even. Uh, never take a first date into a perfumery, it can uh, backfire. So what we have done is we have solved this problem. We have created the equivalent of Vivino for the wines. We have created a platform or an ecosystem of platforms that solve the problem of what do I like and what is the right perfume for me. 
the trick here is because there was no vocabulary and no common classification, what we invented is a visualization of sounds. Because there are no common language across countries or there is a very limited vocabulary that people have to describe a scent. And yet you can explain very well how something smells by showing pictures, the dominant notes. So if I have an image with a big rose and a little bit of green leaves and wood, I'm going to understand that this is a very floral, rosy, fresh scent with touches of wood. We have on our database 22,000 perfumes. There are 12,000 florals. Where do you start? Okay, so what we have done is visualize 22,000 perfumes. You can even see how the scent evolves over time by clicking on a button because, as you know, the perfumes are alive. And then we have calculated the olfactive distance amongst all of them. So it's very easy for us or anyone who uses this software to recommend a, a perfume that could be very interesting for you. This software that classifies and recommends with a totally brand agnostic point of view, it doesn't favor any product from anyone, uh, is running in many retailers from from Macy's in the US to Tmall um, in China or Boots in the UK. So it's, it's creating a classification and a common language that makes the, the, the navigation of consumers even across platforms very easy. We've created the Google of Sense, the alphabet that is also a visual alphabet, yes. That, that, that was the idea that propelled that series of technologies that we have now connected across all retailers. House of Rituals aims to create an oasis of retail while also using it as a testbed for how the latest in retail technology innovation can be used to enhance the customer experience in a way that's complementary to rather than trying to dominate the store environment. As Rituals Director of Format and Design Richard Lems explained on stage. I always say I hate technology. I don't want to see it and customers, they don't like it, but still we use it a lot. And because we see it's really important and, and you need it for the whole experience, uh, we made a separate department in our group, which is called the beauty tech department. And the beauty tech department has one small store in Amsterdam of two and a half thousand square meters, which is called the House of Rituals. House of Rituals is our laboratorium and it's also our gift. We were 20 years young and we thought, what can we give ourselves as a birthday present uh, for our 20 years? And this was House of Rituals. We test all kinds of things there. So furniture, uh, assortment, but also all kinds of tech things that we can, can use in the stores. We test it there. If it's successful, we put it to the premium stores. If it's even, and that's our, our premium stores are around 100 stores in, worldwide. If that's still successful and it's really uh, doing very well and received very well, then we put it to all the other stores. And I think this is the best example of how uh, technology and retail goes together. You know, it's not about the technology, it's really about serving, uh, serving the, the customer and make the experience really great for them. I mean, we, we do it for the consumer, uh, at least the experience. Uh, of course, we also have technology that's also for, for our staff, uh, but actually it should be as easy as it is for the consumer, if it's also for our staff. Um, so we, we start with the consumer and we really take people, uh, random people, like, do you understand what we want? Uh, because sometimes it can be very fancy and uh, the tech guys, they really love it, but does our consumer understand it? 
and our stores are a slow shopping paradise. So when you're from the busy shopping mall or shopping street, I want people to go in and feel completely zen. But we have a dark interior, there's beautiful music, your uh, smell, of course, our beautiful products. You get a hand massage, you get a cup of tea. So really slow down. And then flashy things uh, that makes, makes you crazy, you don't want that. So we want actually the opposite of, of uh, most uh, retailers are doing. And that works, uh, works quite well, lucky enough. After a hectic three days at Shop Talk Europe, there are a lot of attendees and our production team who could probably do with a massage. So, a chance meeting with Elliot Walker, CEO and founder of the massage company, was a perfectly timed encounter. Bringing high quality massage to the mainstream and our high streets, his UK company is breathing new life into the retail mix and proving that there remains huge growth opportunities within the retail franchise model, as he explains. Whatever your job is, whether you are standing at a trade show, whether you are sitting in a taxi, standing in a shop or in an office or at home, everybody has a need for massage therapy and it can happen in two ways so it can be for a mental reason or it can be for a physical reason massage therapy can help both of those and, and make a significant improvement in people's lives the massage company is a premises based massage company so we operate out of two to three thousand square feet where we would have 10 to 15 treatment rooms so treatment rooms specifically set up to deliver very good quality massage therapy at volume. And that's really where the massage company differs from everything else on the high street because it's been able to offer that consistency of product at scale. When we launched in 2016 into their Camberley, there was no space in the high street. It was full. So we find ourselves in a very, very different situation. We've visited all the property trade shows. We've spoken to lots of landlords so that health and wellness is viewed as the savior of the high street. We're talking to all the major shopping centers, most of the major landlords about creating wellness hubs within their, uh, within their space, which is very different to only five, six years ago, as that space is shrinking or there are empty units, they, they need to bring customers in for experiences that a customer can't buy online. And that is, you know, one be by offering physical treatments where we're treating customers to either a 50 minute or an 80 minute massage. That is the attraction of coming into their portfolio of properties. So we, we offer something really quite special that, you know, the, the retailers with the whole online and physical space just can't offer. Retailers and brands are introducing new payments and checkout options to meet heightened customer expectations around speed and convenience. With one-click checkout, automated checkout and buy now pay later options, just a handful of new offerings being introduced online and in stores. Fernando Cornago, VP Digital Tech at Adidas, Doug Gardner, Chief Information Officer with Flying Tiger Copenhagen, and Beau Gray, General VP, Experience and Digital Product at Abercrombie & Fitch Co, took part in a panel session to discuss how these and other payment and checkout options can help to remove friction from the shopping experience. Some people don't, don't know, but we are being between the number five, number uh, ten monobrand e-commerce in the world. And we, are, we do five billion revenue online uh, last year and we have around 360 million members across the, the globe. 
we come from being operating like 100 times smaller than an Amazon to 1,000 times more traffic than Amazon during two minutes. Right? So imagine, imagine the challenge that this is having for our engineers right? with 50 million requests per second. There is another factor that uh, makes us uh, super fun or super complex. That is the amount of countries that we are operating, 62 and, 62 and growing. Mm -hmm. And I will touch this with regards to checkout and payment, because it's what makes it uh, more complex. We merchandise almost double the products that Nike on a, on a daily basis. And we operate for every single persona, super premium shoppers, fashion, lifestyle, sports, 20 sports, 20 categories, different price tags. Uh, this is where we have a lot of focus in personalization. But talking about checkout, this was my, 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 one of my first learning uh, three years ago, because I thought that all the effort will be on the, what we call the upper funnel, personalization media. But I realized that a lot of our efforts was going in the, in the checkout. And it's, um, as, a, as a buyer, as a non-expert in the field three years ago, I was used to, you go to a store, and 99% of the people that goes to the, to the cash, to the point of sale, pays, right? Either with cash or with a car, it's clear, 99% conversion. And the uh, last number that I had is that our uh, conversion online is around 30% car to order. And this is what we observe ourselves, right? From a complete vanilla, non-curated experience that where you can convert 20% only of the consumers towards really a checkout for our members, with one-click payments, etc., where we even can get up to 50% conversion, right? So imagine with our volumes, that's, uh, that's really uh, a winning, winning factor. And this is where we invest a lot on the, on the checkout experience across real tech, real-time inventory, all our uh, promotions that were creating a lot of struggles for the consumers. Uh, delivery options very, very, very different, very difficult, uh, very different. Sorry, across all our markets. So tell me, Doug. I understand that there were quite a few challenges when you joined. Tell me a little bit about how you both caught up with your payments and uh, developed some new innovative ways of checking out. Yeah. So um, when I interviewed for the job, I was. It went through the normal process. They tell you, well, basically, you don't really have any systems. It's not that great in the business. And I thought, yeah, it's going to be pretty basic stuff, average. They want it, really want to move forward. But when I joined, I didn't realize how much it meant that they didn't have any systems. It was literally, because everything was decentralized, they had no systems. And they had a very old ERP system. All the acquired uh, groups had their separate ERP. So we had like five or six different ERP systems. Uh, uh, that were the, were the base, but no core systems, no digital, no store systems, nothing. So it was a unique opportunity to say, you know, part of our strategy is we're going to leapfrog technology. Mm -hmm. Instead of just trying to catch up and put something boring in that's probably better than what we've got, we decided to go ahead and completely leapfrog with technology when we, when we did things. So uh, one of the first things I did is put in a, a very strong integration and data layer to be able to insulate and decouple from the back end. And that allowed us then to play with the front end and plug things in. So it enabled us to very rapidly with Shopify and, and, um, and other partners to help us um, put those systems in, plug in Shopify to our ecosystem, plug in MishiPay, which is uh, the in-store technology that helps with, with payment, plugging in merchandising systems like Nextel and, and doing um, all kinds of different things within the store efficiency uh, realm. So it was quite an opportunity to truly start from scratch, 
put some very innovative things in and take a big leap forward in all of those particular areas. Bo, tell me a little bit about how did you go about identifying opportunities to improve the customer experience and unlock value? Yeah, absolutely. So when I arrived to the organization, we were just executing a bunch of features. Really didn't ladder up to any significant kind of customer need or business value. There's a lot of perceived value in the things that we were delivering, um, but it was very fractured. And so what we did is we set out to really step back and say, do we understand kind of from a core customer segment, both behavioral and attitudinal, what do they need? What are the pivotal moments across the customer experience in which we have an opportunity to deliver sustained value as opposed to you know, just essentially delivering a feature-by-feature feature, um, experience for our customers? And so we embarked upon that work to identify that. And what's really fantastic about the size of our organization is that once we align, you know, we identified those opportunities, we align top to bottom, left to right, that those are the things that we're going to focus our energy on. So as you can imagine, in a world of finite resources and endless possibilities, to have an organization really um, find focus is probably the biggest challenge for most organizations, at least it was for ours prior. So that work really led into uh, us identifying a lot of opportunities and focusing our, our time and energies as an organization, which I've been there for about two and a half years. My team um, has grown significantly, um, probably only been with the company, the average tenure is about a year. One on my year. team. So we're, we're undergoing a significant organizational transformation as well as a customer experience transformation to reflect our brand evolutions. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, when you talk about customer insights, how did, what kind of insights did you find about payment preferences? Yeah, payments is a very interesting space. So when we did this work, um, we, we identified that there was this significant dynamic between the teen shopper who wears our apparel, their desire to influence, you know, have a choice in what they're wearing, but their ability to pay for that product. And so we stepped back and said, okay, well, we offer all these amazing product services like Klarna and Apple Pay, you name it, we have them, they all serve us very well. But we still had a friction point there, which was slightly upstream, which is how do we facilitate this interesting collaboration between the parent and the team? And so that's when we identified uh, share to pay And share to pay is very simple. If you download our mobile app, any user can add items to their shopping bag. They can then send that shopping bag to another person via SMS. That other person can edit um, or augment that or just complete the sale, again, using any of one, of one of our payment services, Venmo, PayPal, Apple Pay, or Klarna. So it's very complimentary, but it really addressed a key friction point in our customer experience, which is the ability to finish the transaction. And so what we found is you know, folks that use that capability, we're seeing a 2x increase in conversion, and an average order value is increased by 20% just by looking at that moment and saying, how do we play a role without being too heavy in the experience uh, to facilitate an outcome for our customers? Wow, 2x increase in conversion and 20% uplift just because you've got the shop share to pay in the app. And so, is it partly because is it is it because of the ability just to convert the transaction or is it actually also the um, communication? It's 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 primarily been just facilitating what has always been this very kind of awkward organic communication between someone that wants a product and someone that's going to pay for that product. And so what we have found is that, that that has been kind of the secret, is really taking a lightweight approach to facilitate that, not getting in the way of that interaction, but being complimentary to it. AI may be dominating the headlines, but Charlie Hull, marketing director at Open Source Connections, cautioned those attending Shop Talk Europe to focus less on the shiny and new and more towards how technology can be applied in areas that will deliver immediate results where it matters most. One such area being search. 
Well, I think for me, one of the fascinating things is everybody's talking about AI, of course, it's in the news, everyone's very excited about the opportunities, but no one quite seems to know what it is or really how to apply it to e-commerce situations. Uh, I've seen some of the keynote talks, there's been certainly some discussion about potential benefits, but the practicalities of applying it seem still to be unclear. But I think uh, AI certainly does have more legs than uh, the meta uh, conversations we had last year. I think the important thing really with all of these potential enhancements is to think about how you're going to measure their impact. And that's something we're very keen on at Open Source Connections, measuring how much improving search quality, site search quality can improve the, the value of, of e-commerce. And I think with these AI techniques also coming on, on stream, we need to think about how to measure their impact. And obviously, if you can't measure something, you can't improve it. We work with all kinds of different sectors, including e-commerce, and basically we focus on search relevance. We focus on helping people get the right results back in the right order for their users and customers. And we teach uh, a practice of how to improve search when you know, we don't have any particular technology we're focused on, although we prefer open source. But really, we're trying to teach search teams, we're trying to empower search teams to develop, deliver excellent results. And this does very much depend on data. Again, you need to be able to measure search quality somehow. It's very common for me to ask uh, retailers or, or brands, how do you know those search results coming back for a particular query are good or bad? How do you measure that? Do you score them? What is the score? What's the scale? Who do you ask to score them? Or do you just measure clicks? And all of these questions lead into a, a, an understanding that you need a culture that's data-driven. Uh, and then once you can measure uh, how good your search quality is, you can then think about ways to improve it. So we work with teams really to help uh, develop this practice, these, these best practices, train both the business and the technical side on the, you know, the mechanics of improving search. And then we also help, we consult and, on implementing some of the changes that you might need to make. One of the things we see very commonly is zero results. Somebody types in a query, they're using language that doesn't really match the product catalog. And back comes that horrible page, I'm sorry, we don't have any results for that query. And this is, I mean, this is terrifying for a retailer because it's literally, uh, what's a customer going to do then? They're going to go somewhere else. They're going to go to a competitor. So zero results is one of those things we really try and address early on. There's other things such as language mismatches. You know, maybe I'm a French person searching on a US website and I'm not using quite the same language. I had an example a couple of weeks ago, Americans call a cafetiere a French press. I went to France and Paris and ran an event there and asked the people there, do you know what a French press is? Nobody did. So there's often mismatches of language or terminology. The other thing is how do you actually rank your results? Are you ranking it by the results that are going to make you the biggest profit? That helps you as a business, but that isn't necessarily what the customer wants. So balancing consumer and business interests is also absolutely essential. Figure out how you're going to measure the effectiveness of particular queries. Look at your top, your most valuable queries, but also look at some of those on the long tail, some of the ones further down the list. Try and get a balance between the most popular queries and maybe some of the more different queries across the whole set. Um, check your query logs, see what people are actually typing into your search engine. And then once you have that measurement, you can think about a, a culture of, of uh, continuous experimentation, trying new things, validating those experiments against this measurement data you've built. And then once you find a good way uh, to improve search results, you can promote that up to online and A-B test it. A-B testing is also absolutely essential. But it's all about the skills. It's all about empowering your team to have the skills and knowledge you know, required to improve search. And it's important to remember, of course, that if you can't find it, you can't buy it. Customer loyalty is no longer about simple transactional rewards. 
getting loyalty right matters more than ever. And success means being able to connect with your audience, no matter where they are. As Jürgen Swans, CEO of loyalty company Neoday, explained to me when we stopped by their stand here at Shop to Europe 2023. Jürgens, tell us what you do. Well, we develop software, software as a service uh, setup, specialized in loyalty management. Completely rebuilt everything from scratch three years ago. So my company has 25 years of experience. We've been in the market for that long. Guess my age, eh? quite old. And since 13 years with a specialty on loyalty, fast-moving consumer goods, retail, supermarket chains, fashion, cinema chains, etc. And we now have a loyalty management system in place, which is we're sure that we can beat the market. Loyalty is changing, and I think it's moving away from the traditional earn and burn model. I totally agree. You could work with us. Um, the problem with most systems in the market is that they only do transactional loyalty stuff. So. You can earn and burn points. Tiers, gold, silver, bronze, they already see that as something better than uh, points. And then you can get coupons for free and segmentation. That's more or less it. You need this because you're doing loyalty to earn more money from your consumer. But we do see the emotional loyalty uh, part kicking in hard. And that's what we focused on when we built our software. So. Brand equity should be lifted, and that you do with uh, emotional things. Like, for example, uh, setting 10,000 steps a day could be something that you as a, as a company would like to see that people do that, because then they're working with your brand. That has nothing to do with transactions, but it does have to do with brand connection, and that's what we love. There's plenty of people which have been negative about the future of the high street, and we've seen pretty much casualties in every European marketplace. What gives you reason to be optimistic about the future of bricks and mortar stores? I'm from Holland, and I read the Financial Times on a daily basis. And yes, COVID did make a lot of people go forced go to online. You can see it moving back again to bricks and mortars even, at least in Holland, and I don't know every country, but I, I'm, I'm convinced that bricks and mortars will be alive for tens of years because it's the, the feeling that you have being in a high street, walking into uh, to a shop that you cannot mimic with uh, uh, online. Yes, there are a lot of companies trying to do that with uh, virtual reality, etc. But that's not the same thing. So the easiness, I think, of having multiple shops where you walk in and walk out and be surprised with it will stay. And we are focusing on that really hard. So our loyalty management system, we can service pure players, online pure players, but I think they will do a lot of things themselves. We are at the Mortician, so I hope they will keep being uh, there. We are focusing on shops, retail, omnichannel, you want to know your customer who's shopping in your shop, but you want to know the customer, for example, if you're a fashion brand, who is buying your clothing in a different store that you don't own, so that you have a total view on the customer. And uh, so if it would only be a pure player online world, then I am going to be out of business. So if you ask my opinion, it will stay there forever or long at least. So, that was Shop Talk Europe 2023. Wow, what an event. That brings us to the end of this, the final daily event review episode from here in Barcelona. 
If you've not listened to our other daily episodes, be sure to tune in and subscribe wherever you listen to be notified of upcoming episodes of the interview series with the likes of Camper, Sprinter, Pronton, Chien, Danone and more, all coming in the next few weeks. Until then, I've been Carl McKeever. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag retailexchange. Thanks for listening.